Welcome to another episode of True Crime on Easy Street. We are here at Easy Street Restaurant, Bar, and Performance Hall. Hey, I got it right. There you go. That's like the first time in months I've gotten that right. Uh, And I am Scott Wright, and I am a mediocre journalist. I'm Kelly Turner. I'm not a doctor. I'm Katie Givens, and I am not a lawyer. What are we talking about today? I forgot. (laughs) True crime. Oh, yeah, true crime. (laughs) All right, well, that's easy enough. We're going to talk about actually uh, something that happened in... Uh, May of 2005. Yep. And just to stick with the same uh, vein of crime that we've been doing since we started this podcast, true crime with an Alabama connection today, Kelly. I got this. Yeah, I'm ready today. (laughs) All right. So the following is a story no one should have to tell about the nightmare no one wants to live told by the parent no one wants to be. But what happened to Natalie Holloway and the circumstances following her disappearance on the last night of her senior trip to Aruba is the story everyone needs to hear. And that is an excerpt from the book that I used to research this case, which is called Loving Natalie, and it's by Beth Holloway, Natalie's mom. That's her mother, right? And her Correct. father also wrote a book that I read part of in, mm-hmm. in preparation for this podcast, and I found another one called The Holloway Files, okay. and it's, uh, it's a, it was an investigative book that a couple of guys who were Danish, would it be, if it's, if it's the Netherlands, they're Danish, right? Because, sure. Because Aruba is a protectorate mm-hmm. of, its own. of the Netherlands. Mm-hmm. And so, not to get too far ahead of the story, but eventually the, the Dutch police came in and, and conducted their own investigation, and that got Dutch uh, journalists involved and interested which they probably were from the very beginning. Mm-hmm. But this book that I read, The Holloway Files, is a book by a couple of those Danish, uh, Danish journalists who uh, got down into the weeds on this story. But I'll yeah, shut up was, and let you talk. You're right. There was a lot of journalists from many different places who were very interested in this case and followed it um, basically up until Hurricane Katrina hit when mm-hmm. that kind of changed everyone's focus in the, in the media. But uh, this was... If you turned on your television in 2005, particularly around or after on and after mm-hmm. Memorial Day, you saw this. Yeah, for this was uh, covered by everyone. Hurricane Katrina hit on August the 29th of 2005. So for pretty much three months after Natalie Holloway went missing, mm-hmm. that was on television on the news networks all day, every day. Yes, the the confusion and the just uncertainty about what happened there and i yes. think i think we could say 16 years later we'll, we're still there in, in we're some still, respects we're still scratching our heads mm-hmm. and trying to figure out what happened but let me back up and <clears throat> give you uh, some background here natalie holloway was born on october the 21st 1986 in memphis tennessee to dave and beth holloway When she was three and her younger brother, Matt, was one, the family moved to Clinton, Mississippi. Dave and Beth divorced not long after they moved to Mississippi, and Beth was awarded sole custody of both children. About seven years later, Beth met George Twitty, who had a nickname called Jug. And while he was was on business there in Mississippi, they struck up a relationship. They began dating, and they dated about three years, and then... In 2000, they married. Now, Jug, I'm just going to call him Jug from here on out. This is 
This is Natalie's stepfather. He had two older children that Natalie and her brother Matt adored. They moved to Mountain Brook, Alabama. So here's our Alabama tie here. Uh, Natalie was in the eighth grade when they made this move to Mountain Brook. And she quickly adapted and made friends here. She she was on the dance team. She had all A's. She had a very high ACT score. Uh, because, you know, as senior year approaches, you, you take that ACT and you're looking for that that oh, high yeah. grade. And and not only did she have a high grade, she was uh, she received a presidential scholarship to the University of Alabama, which is only given to a few and has everything to do with academics and ACT scores. That is a mm-hmm. full ride, I believe. It is. So she's very driven, and her mother talks about how when Natalie would set her sights on something, she would set her goal, and and she was going to achieve it. I mean, she was very, very focused. So her focus was to improve by five points in the ACT, and she did it. And that's a pretty wow. significant improvement. That's a jump. Yeah, it sure yeah. is. That when is a you, jump. When you want to improve that score that much, and back in 2005, I do not believe there were there was a super score involved. Mm-hmm. I know now when you take the ACT, there are many schools who will super score, and not, not to sidetrack too much, but um, what they do is if you take the ACT eight times, they'll look at all of those times, and they will take your best score from each section. And ah, that's your okay. final score, and that's a super score. So she was very, very driven. She volunteered a lot for Habitat for Humanity, the Humane Society, the Hope Lodge, where she regularly visited children um, who were cancer patients. Uh, so <clears throat> we're making our way towards the end of our senior year. So in October of 2004, Natalie, she starts talking to her mother about this senior class trip to Aruba. And this class trip is a tradition of the Mountain Brook seniors. Uh, many, many of the her fellow seniors had already signed up. Several senior classes before hers had taken this trip. Natalie's older brother, George, that's uh, one of Jug's children we talked about, um, he had taken this trip. And one of Jug's nephews, Thomas, was actually going to be on the trip with Natalie. I believe there was 124 students that that went right. on this trip. Mm-hmm. So, of course, in October, it's it's not time, but, you know, we got to start signing up and scheduling and and um, begging our parents at this point to, to do something like that. So, uh, Beth, she wants to give Natalie this trip because she's worked so hard, because she's earned this scholarship, because she's, you know, worked hard and done all these things. And so Beth is wanting her to be able to experience this with her fellow classmates sort of a rite of passage to take your senior trip i mean we won't get off into the weeds here again but we all took a senior trip somewhere right yes so it's kind of a thing that everybody does mm -hmm. exactly so this is this is your first trip that you go on as an adult and in quotes if i'm I'm air quoting as an adult you go on this trip by yourself no parents uh you do have chaperones typically on these trips and they did have chaperones, but they are there to pretty much do a head count every day and move on. They're not yeah, following you around. You can't you can't check into this resort. I'm sure at 18. No, that's, that's a lot of resorts will not. Yeah. You have to have someone 25 and older typically mm-hmm. to rent a room. They're not going to rent it to a to a 18 year old. So, um, <clears throat> so they they were going to have uh, these chaperones and 
Beth, her mom, attended the parent meeting and was, you know, making plans for the trip. And in this meeting, a former Mountain Brook student attended and he talked to them about a particular place in Aruba when he was there two years prior. And the place is called Char- uh, Carlos and Charlie's. And there he talked to these parents. He, he told them about witnessing some locals trying to get a couple of his female classmates to leave with them. And he stepped in and stopped them from leaving. And he explained to the parents that he had believed that, that he stopped something dangerous from happening. So that he's warning the parents and, and having them to warn their, their students, their, their children as, before they go on this class trip. So there's something to be aware of when you go to Aruba. So Beth talks about in this book about talking with Natalie about this. They talk about the fact that Natalie's 18 and in the States you can't drink at age 18, but, but in Aruba you are you can drink at 18. You can drink alcohol. So they talk about that, that, you know, you are going to be of legal drinking age. Don't sit your drink down. Don't, you know, leave it unattended. Don't be careful with what you do. Don't leave with anybody. They have all of these talks. So she said Beth, uh, or Beth says that Natalie was aware of this and that Natalie had always been responsible. She had no reason to believe that there would be any issues. So on Thursday, May the 26th, 2005, they leave for this trip to Aruba. Now, Beth's job is to drop Natalie off at a friend's home early that morning. They're going, that, that friend's mom is going to take them to the airport. They're going to fly out. They're coming home on May the 30th, 2005, on Memorial Day Monday. And Beth is going to pick them up at the airport. So early, early morning, I don't know exactly the time, but early morning on Thursday, May 26, she drops Natalie off. They go to the airport and they fly to Aruba. Natalie is going to not show up on Monday, May the 30th, 2005 in the hotel lobby. So every, every morning or at some point in time, there, there, was, a, there was a meet time that they would all meet, the students, the chaperones would kind of do a head count, and then they would go on about their, their merry way. On Monday, May 30th, Natalie did not show up. They were going to meet in the lobby, board buses, go to the airport, and fly home. Right. So she does not show up. Beth talks about getting this call, the call, in quotes, as she is traveling back from visiting her family in Hot Springs, Arkansas. So they have a, they have a, Beth's family has a lake home in this area of Arkansas. So they went for the long weekend, she and two of her friends. They, you know, decided a relaxing weekend. Kid out of the house. Yeah, my kid just graduated from high school. Let's all go celebrate. We're going to enjoy ourselves, have some, have some adult time at the, at the lake house and then pick them up on Monday. So they're driving home from, staying at the lake house on the weekend, and she gets a call. And the call is from the travel agent's daughter. The travel agent's name is Jody. Her daughter is on the other uh, end of the phone. When Beth picks up the phone, she says, my mother needs to talk with you. Jody, the travel agent, gets onto, on the line, and she says that Natalie didn't show up 
to get onto the flight back to the States. Her mother says at that point, she immediately knew. I'm having some mic. <laughs> I think I'm fixing. Sorry. Um, my mic was doing flips. I that's, saw that. It's really I wasn't weird. I'm sorry. Sorry. I wasn't sure if it was actually happening or if it was just me. Yeah, just to, just to let the listeners know, my mic was trying to flip <laughs> on me there. I'm so sorry. So, um, <clears throat> so <laughs> Natalie uh, doesn't show up, and her mother says there is something wrong immediately. This is not like my daughter. My daughter is not late. She is not even on time. She's always early. Her father said the same thing in the book that I read. He knew immediately that something was wrong when Natalie wasn't where she was supposed to be when she was supposed to be there. So she wasn't just hung over in a hotel room and, you know, her alarm no, didn't go off. Correct. And her roommates are in the lobby and they're saying, well, she did not come to the room last night. They assumed that she stayed in another room because that tends to happen on senior trip. You may... <laughs> Crash in one room one night, and right. then crash in another room another night. I don't want to get into a, lot, a whole lot of details <laughs> yeah. and, and tattle on everybody here on yeah, senior anybody trip. Anybody who's at least 19 years old who's ever been on a senior trip knows exactly what you're you, talking you know, about. You know, and they, and they said she, she didn't come to the room. So they, her things are still in her room, including her wallet. So that's a big deal. So she, and her passport. She didn't run off. Her, her passport, passport was there. Correct. Very important things that an 18-year-old needs. Mm-hmm. So they know immediately. I was pretty amazed at how quickly her mom was on a flight to Aruba. Yeah. Uh, they were on a private pl- uh, jug. She goes through this in this book. I really recommend that you read this book. It's, it's a, really, a really good book. Um, but they go through the account of... Jug knows someone who knows a who has a plane, and and she kind of walks you through how this happens and who ends up getting on the plane, and they are flying to Aruba. In the meantime, a few of the chaperones agree to stay, and they send all the kids home. Now, some of the kids wanted to stay because that's their friend. Sure, they didn't want to leave, but I'm one hundred percent behind the chaperones in saying. These kids are getting out of here. Get them home. They're, they're getting out of Aruba right now. So they get them out, and Beth and Jug come flying into Aruba. What the students say happened on the previous night is this. They were partying on their last night in Aruba at Carlos and Charlie's. Do you remember this? Yes. Carlos and Charlie's. We mm-hmm. brought that up earlier. The former Mountain Brook student who had been on this trip warned of locals trying to pick up some of the female students in Carlos and Charlie's. And possibly getting roofied if you're not attentive of your yes. drink. Yes. So they were partying at Carlos and Charlie's. They had actually been to Carlos and Charlie's several times on this trip. So they're there for the, the final night. And they say that Natalie left in a silver or a gray Honda with a young man who had befriended some of their classmates. Now, I have also heard some of the classmates interviewed and watched um, just short clips of their interviews. And one girl actually said the vehicle is white. Mm -hmm. But most of the accounts that I have read say silver or gray. That's the only time with the one interview that I actually heard 
a white vehicle. Did anyone else see? It was it was silver or gray is what I read most mm-hmm. of the time. Okay. I mean, and the car turned up later. I mean, it and it was it, actually it silver. To one of the Calpo brothers. Yeah. So they found the car that was in question, so, and, and it was a it silver was a silver vehicle. Gray. Yeah. So <clears throat> they she gets into this silver vehicle with a, a young man who had befriended some of the classmates. Now, Jug's nephew, who's also on this trip, Thomas, says that he actually met the guy that Natalie was leaving with. He said he played poker with him, actually beside him, at the Excelsior Casino, which is located inside of the Holiday Inn, which is where the Mountain Brook group was staying. And the students, they're they're talking. They're like, hey, what was his name? Was it like Jaron? Was it J- Jorah? And then they say Yoron. And they discover that the the student's name is Yoran, and he is a tourist from Holland who is also staying at the Holiday Inn. That's what he said. That's what the students know. That's what Yoran told them. They quickly learn that this guy's name is Yoran Vandersloot. He is 17 years old. He goes to school in Aruba. He lives there. He does not stay at the Holiday Inn. And he is there with two of his friends, and you said they're the Calpo brothers. K-A-L-P-O-E. I assume that's the correct pronunciation. Calpo, we're we're sure. going to call them Calpo. Somebody can let us know if we got it wrong. Yeah, I'm pretty sure. Yeah. I'm probably not saying that correctly. But what were the Calpo brothers' first names? Because that those were the, the trios. Yorin, and then it was the two brothers that were, were, Somebody's that were hanging to look that together. Up quick because the older brother was 21. Yes. The younger brother was 19. Mm-hmm. And then Yorin is 17. Yeah, and they were friends who hung out together. Uh, and Deepak is the oldest. That's one. And uh, Satish. Satish. Satish is the... Is the nineteen-year-old? Yeah, and they were they were friends who hung out together and spent time in those. Uh, they played Texas Hold'em poker was really big back then mm-hmm. uh, in the in the mid two thousands. It had really blown up and gotten big all over the country. There's still poker tournaments on all the sports channels today, and all of that started back in the early two thousand three, two thousand four, two thousand five. So everybody was playing Texas Hold'em back in those days, and that was one of the reasons or one of the ways I think that they may have met was that. They were all there together, and they started playing poker in the tournaments at the casinos, and all of these hotels had adjacent casinos. Mm-hmm. It's very interesting because Yoren is 17 years old, so he's actually not old enough. You're supposed to be 18 mm-hmm. to be able mm-hmm. to be in the casinos and to party at some of these night spots. Now, I don't know how the, the laws work, and I don't know if you could be in there, and just not, you're not supposed to be drinking. Like, you mm-hmm. could get into Carlos and Charlie's under 18. I understand, yeah. And I don't know that, but I do believe that to play poker, you're supposed to be 18 years old, so I'm not sure how well, I read playing. I read one passage that describes a, a the Sunday night in question at Carlos and Charlie's. Yoren was so well-known to the people who worked at Carlos and Charlie's that he had some sort of card or some sort of pass or some sort of nod and wink. He didn't even have to pay a cover charge when he went into Carlos and Charlie's. He was so well-known there by the folks who worked there. So I I can only assume that perhaps something similar happened when he's at the casino, maybe just because he's, he's a resident and he's there all of the time and his father is, uh, is an official. Yeah, so that's that's kind of what I was getting at. I'm is, sorry. is you learn that? No, I'm glad you. I'm glad okay. you went into that because 
that's how he was able to do these things. Mm-hmm. His father, and I'm I'm not is it Paulus? Well, I saw Paul. Let's just call Paul, him Paul okay. Vandersloot because yeah, it is Paulus. But I noticed several times in the transcripts of the uh, police investigations that I read in the Holloway files that a lot of times it was just shortened to Paul. Okay, so Paul is somebody. Yes, he is. A big name. He's involved in the legal system mm-hmm. He's on a, the island of Aruba. He he was a former judge. Yeah, and, and is that right? And from what I from what I read, I think he was training to be a judge. That's okay. it. He was, he was in the ranks to become a judge. He was a, he was an attorney, a yeah, practicing attorney, like a lawyer okay. who's who maybe has to take some sort of exam to be able to be declared a judge right. on I the island exactly, of Aruba. I didn't do a whole lot of research into how yeah. all their legal system works, but yeah. So he's he's a big name on the island of Aruba, and therefore his son gets to take some liberties. Everybody in the police department, everybody that's law enforcement, knows who Paul Vandersloot is on the island of Aruba in May of 2005. And the the not the original guy who was over the police department when this happened, but the one who took over, mm-hmm. had at one point in time worked under Paul. At one point in time, Paul was his boss, there was is some, the way that I understand. A lot of connections that people will spend years making accusations and, and pointing fingers mm-hmm. and with a with a crooked eye and thinking, wait a minute, did this all happen? And I don't know that we'll ever know mm-hmm. exactly how that played out, but it certainly le- lends itself to mm-hmm. somebody got special treatment. And, and mm-hmm. Well, like and, and regardless of, of what happened afterwards, I mean, the, the bottom line, in my opinion at this point, is Jordan had no business being in any of these places. He was not old enough. He, he shouldn't exactly. have been there mm-hmm. in the first place. So. It's interesting to think about had those rules been enforced where we would be today. Would yeah. we even be talking about this? And I'll just kind of tell you, I don't think we would be. Possibly. And so, yeah. anyways, that's my mm-hmm. <laughs> two cents there. And so, Scott, <laughs> I'm going to, you know, pass the buck over to you. Oh, is it my turn? It's your turn. I'm done. Okay, so, I mean, we'll we'll go through kind of what, it, and, it, and it's really hard to understand exactly what happened because there's so many differing accounts and, uh, your we're just gonna. I'll just use his first name just so we don't confuse him with his father. Yoren uh, tells so many different stories after he comes under police scrutiny about exactly what it was that took place that it's impossible to piece this thing all together uh, with any certainty because it's changed so many times. But a couple of days before, or maybe the night before, Natalie and some of her friends were in the casino and they settled down at a blackjack table, I think it was, and Joran Vandersloot was there gambling. And so they all played together uh, on the poker table or on the blackjack table and got to know each other. And then it was the next night that they were all going to go to Carlos and Charlie's for their last night. And there was a sequence where uh, Natalie supposedly asks uh, Joran to go and join them. And he says, well, nobody really goes out on Sunday night. And it was Sunday night, May the 30th in Aruba. But he showed up anyway. And there's... There's differing accounts of exactly what happens after they all get there. Uh, there, I'm not going to go into the details, but whatever you think might happen in a tropical Caribbean island where there is alcohol and dancing and loud music. I mean, it's just it's it's one of those nights. Mm-hmm. He talks about doing body shots and body shots. And um, the the classmate of Natalie's that I had recently I mentioned before that I'd watched the video, she admits that, yeah, there was, you weren't in a couple of body shots. Yeah. And Beth talks about it in the book that yeah. apparently that happened. I and mean, it was nuts. It was legal. I mean, everybody was doing, nobody was breaking the law no. except for 
for Yorin Vanderslew. Yorin was, was too young to be drinking. He, was 17. he shouldn't have been um, doing body shots and he shouldn't have been ordering them a drink. He claims yeah. that he ordered a, a drink after, after doing the shots and uh, it was, uh, it was, uh, rum like 151 a really strong yeah, it was Bacardi 151 rum. and diet cola which they called red heat or red shots or it was it was just whatever it was just a name that they had for mm-hmm. Bacardi and diet it was yeah. just a way to but a very strong to market Bacardi. the drink yes a stronger Bacardi yeah, and like, so well 151 you can light on fire yeah that's like 75 percent alcohol they put it on top of drinks and you light it on fire as a party trick right so there you go that may be why it was called that. ex-bartender yeah. katie gibbons knows that she's not a lawyer but she but used to be a bartender, a bartender. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway so what we know happens for sure is that at some point when the when the bar closes down at 1 a.m Natalie goes outside with Joran Vandersloot and climbs into the car with the Calpo brothers. Tell me their names one more time. Deepak and Satish. Mm-hmm. Okay. Climbs into the car. So the four of them leave, and at one point her window is down, and she yells to a friend of hers, Aruba, like, hey, we're having fun, and I'm leaving, and I'll see you guys back at the hotel yeah, to tomorrow. Her, she's saying, I'm getting a ride back to the hotel, and she right. yells, Aruba, as she's and that's the driving last, off. Mm-hmm. And, and that's the last time her friends ever see her alive. When I was on senior trip, we would have yelled YOLO. That was the, <laughs> that, so I guess that was their phrase of choice. That What week. does that mean? Oh, wow. Scott, you're showing your Am I too old age? to know what that means? You only live once. Ah, YOLO. okay. I have yeah. heard that before. Mm-hmm. Okay, yep. I'm sorry. Mm-hmm. Anyway, so yeah, something similar to that. But, but right after that, right after they pull out of the parking lot, now, that's where the confusion, that's where nobody knows what happens, and all we have to go on is what Joran Vandersloot said on three or four different occasions, what the Calpo brothers said. They were all hauled in. Well, actually, they weren't the first people. Let me think how to tell this story so that it makes a little bit of sense. They tell the story when Natalie doesn't show up and folks start making phone calls and trying to find out exactly what happened. They're... The first two people who are arrested are two security guards at the Holiday Inn because their story is, the Calpo brothers and Vandersloot's story is that they drive around for a while, uh, go to a couple of different places, the California Lighthouse, which is on the northernmost point of the island of Aruba, uh, because Natalie supposedly wanted to see the sharks, even though there aren't any sharks in those waters. Um, At some point, maybe they got dropped off at the fishermen's huts that are on the beach. They're close to the... Uh, to the resort, to the line of resorts, the Marriott is there, and then the Holiday Inn is right down from it, and I don't think it's the Holiday Inn anymore. I couldn't find it uh, on Google Maps the other day. But, so there's really some confusion about exactly when Natalie supposedly parted ways or, or got out of that car to stay, but the first story that the that the three boys told was that they dropped her off at the Holiday Inn, and she stumbled out of the car and and fell, and Yorin tried to help her up, and she refused his help. And as they drove away, they saw two uh, black security guards dressed in black uniforms trying to help her up and get her into the lobby. And so it wasn't very long, maybe a day or or so, before those two, before two black security guards were called in for questioning. And one of the ways that the Dutch system of law works that is different from ours is you can bring someone in and hold them in a jail cell for days, as long as you think that there is a reason to hold them. But then after seven days or 10 days, 
a judge gets involved and looks at all of the evidence that has been compiled so far and decides whether or not you can continue to hold them or if they have to be let go because there's not enough evidence for them to remain in jail. So those two security guards don't stay incarcerated for very long. No, because they're going to view the the footage. There is security footage from the Holiday Inn, and there's some discrepancy about I, I'm I've read a passage where it says that that uh, Beth Holloway, Beth Twitty, mm-hmm. uh, claims on one of the national TV shows, Nancy Grace or one of the others, that that there was no security footage because the cameras were broken. But I'm also that's what seen, they first. That's the first story she heard. Okay, she first heard that the the footage was gone. They get the the Twitties get a really good lawyer involved mm-hmm. there on the island. Okay, and all of a sudden. We have some footage. And all of a sudden, we have security footage. We have some footage. Okay. And guess who's not on that footage? Natalie never, never walked back in through that lobby. She never walked back into the Holiday Inn. To, to go back to her room that no. night. No. Uh, and so then the story's going to change that he left her on the beach. Right. And there's eventually, and I don't know exactly, and Kelly, help me out here. I don't know when this happened, but at some point, the Twitties, Natalie Holloway's mother and stepfather, mm-hmm. Go to the Vandersloot home. Yes. And, pretty quickly. Yeah, and, that's and pretty And confront immediate. him. I mean, that's as soon as they get there, they're like, hey, we found out you're they the last person to see casino, our daughter. They go from a casino to back to the Holiday Inn, back to the casino. Then they're, they're at the Vandersloot home, and they confront Paul, and Paul is trying to get Yorn on the phone, and, and um, Paul is uh, just... Paul is Yorn's father. He is. He is. He's, he's calling Yorn, and he's saying he's... He's coming home. I mean, he, he's even calling him at the time. He's supposed to be gambling at the time when mm-hmm. they went and saw him. And so, I mean, again, I don't know. So whatever happened. If we're dealing with an age thing there. Like, yeah. why is your 17-year-old at the casino? Right. But there was there was a confrontation at, at the Vandersloot home. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then it wasn't too long after that before the Calpo brothers and Yorin were brought in for questioning. Yes. There was a gardener who claimed to see them in the vehicle um, early that morning, in the, the morning in question. In a place and that they, they were, didn't mention that they had been to. And they were acting very strange and suspicious. And Yeah. Yeah, yeah and they're, they're arrested on June 9th, and all this started on May 30th. Okay, so, so mm-hmm. 10 days later, they're, mm-hmm. they've been hauled in, and, and then we start this, this, this process of and that's when we get all these different stories. Right. Mm-hmm. The first story, it seems like maybe they had all kind of gotten together and they all had a story that had some ridiculous similarities. I mean, supposedly there was a conversation with Natalie in the car where she asked, you're in Vandersloot, are these two dark-skinned people your slaves? Because back in Alabama, I would live on a plantation and they would be slaves. It just sounds like a ridiculous story that somebody who didn't know very much about Alabama. This was the first thing I thought. Mm-hmm. They've heard of Alabama. Mm-hmm. They know about the Civil War. That story sounds completely made up to me. I can't imagine that. I can't imagine Natalie. Natalie mm-hmm. Holloway or anybody else like would that. say something ridiculous like that. But they all three told the different, the, the the same story in different ways. And one of the one of the cool things about the the, the Holloway files is that a lot of that book is transcripts from interviews and there are multiple interviews with all three of these suspects and you can just you can see the story and I almost got to the point where it was so confusing that I I I wanted to stop reading it because 
I was forgetting exactly what the timeline was and when they changed their stories. But over and over and over, as they got caught in a lie, the story would change. And Vandersloot, much more so than the Calpo brothers, they kind of stuck to their story because once they got separated, there was no way for them to all get together anymore and and make sure that their stories meshed like the first right. one had. So the Calpo brothers, their stories remained so right? clear that they were actually released before Yorin. Yeah. They ended up being released and then rearrested and then they were all released again mm-hmm. at the same time. Yeah. Yeah. For the first time. Right. Going back a little bit before they were arrested, the um, investigator was really slow in, in the Holloway's opinion. I can understand that. I can, I can see. Sure. You, know, you have to follow your law. Yeah, I mean, they, they got but to they Aruba wanted, with their hair on fire. Yeah, they wanted My daughter's something missing. immediately. And I, I not, no judgment here. Sure. But there was, um, the investigator was not in a hurry because mm-hmm. he he kept saying she'll turn up on the beach. She'll turn up on the beach. And so what they learned is that something that happens or that was happening at the time in Aruba. I'm not. I can't speak for 2021. Yeah. But in 2005, what was happening in Aruba is some of the locals would party with some of the tourists, and they would learn all oh, their last day is. Tonight or tomorrow. Exactly. And what they would do on their last night, they would rob them. Uh, They'd end up at a crack house or, you know, they would take them there. They would rob them. They would, you know, drug them, leave them on the beach. And when the tourist wakes up, they're... It's it's their travel day. Yeah. So oh shit! I gotta go. They're they're not wanting to stay in Aruba and report a crime. They're wanting to get the heck out of there. Yeah. So they get on a plane and leave. So that was kind of the way that it worked. Mm-hmm on a lot of tourists' final nights there. And this was a common, such a common occurrence that the investigator kept saying, she'll turn up on the beach. Yeah. She's on the beach. And if, and if you don't know where Aruba is, and I had to look it up to see, I knew it was somewhere out there in the, in the South Atlantic, but it is literally 17 miles from the coast of South America. So Colombia, the cocaine capital of the world to this day, I'm sure, <laughs> is right there. There's marijuana is readily available. Any kind of drug that you want. And and the so the port system is really lax in the island of Aruba. And it's very easy to transport things uh, and it, just say that it's a box of TVs. Nobody's gonna check and see what it is because the, the laws are so lax there. So it's and it's the got, drug smuggling's easy. The drug smuggling is very easy. So there's plenty of drugs that that don't ever get off the island of Aruba on their way to somewhere else. They get they get pilfered and somebody gets to use some of those. And so that's out and about and, and being circulated in the community. And the law enforcement at the time knew it. It was kind of this gentleman's agreement. Hey, you don't do it right in front of me and I won't have to arrest you. Mm-hmm. So there was a lot of that going on in Aruba. And, and maybe to this day, if it's, is it still a popular uh, senior trip destination? I have no idea. I don't know. I know that tourism for sure took a hit and I think yeah. it has rebounded some and that's probably why you couldn't find the Holiday Inn. I'm sure they rebranded. I'll bet they did and the Carlos and Charlie's has since been rebranded as Senior Frogs and I found out that the same company owns both of them so I guess it's like if, if Carlos and Charlie's gets a bad name we'll just come in and paint everything green and call it Senior Frogs. Sure. Mm-hmm. And so I think that's what has happened in Aruba since then with Carlos and, that and was Charlie's. The, when the tourism started really taking a hit is when you started seeing a lot of the very public backlash from the Aruban officials mm-hmm. and then the Holloways. You're going to see that happen very publicly. Yeah. And they're going to make 
the Holloways look bad. The Holloways are making, they're wanting to make them look bad. So it, it becomes really nasty in the media. Well, and the Holloways even got, uh, Bob Riley was the governor of the state of Alabama at mm-hmm. the time, and they got him involved in a in a push to try and uh, boycott yeah, there was tourism a, there was on a, the island of Aruba. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And Richard Shelby, who was our senior senator and still is uh, here in the state of Alabama, he got involved in it and made a statement. And I think the governors of Georgia and maybe either Tennessee or Arkansas also got on board. It didn't really take off the way the Holloways had hoped that it might, but there was still this push to, hey, your kids aren't safe if you send them to Aruba. Well, Don't let them go on their senior trip there because these things happen, date rape and roofies and bad I, stuff. It, it really probably hurt a lot of senior trips and a lot of tourism, a lot of places. I know Celeste, uh, one of our loyal listeners, and always is at the live show. She was telling yeah. me that... She was, I think she said 16 at the time that this happened, and her parents did not let her go on a senior trip right after I mean, it, this. Shutdown yeah, move I mean, on Aruba after that, right. Well, and right. it was a shutdown on just going on a senior trip in yeah. general. I, yeah, yeah. I don't know if she was going to Aruba, but she said her parents were like, no, 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 you're right. You're not going to be another Natalie Holloway. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Hello, Celeste. <laughs> yeah. Thank, maybe you, for, maybe she's thank you for listening, yeah, Celeste. Yeah, absolutely. So one of the first things, and, and the, the probably the most sickening things, that the Holloways had to endure when they get to the island is they're working on this theory that she's going to turn up on the beach, that she might be in one of the crack houses, one of the prostitution houses. I mean, whatever they called it there, they had a word and I just completely went blank on what they called it, but it was like a a house of prostitution for lack of, I, I can't think of what their word was like um, a, a broth, it's not a brothel no but it's what they called it in aruba uh, it's, um, oh it's their own little term gotcha yes so um anyways they have to go in the middle of the night and walk through these crack houses and dens of iniquity mm-hmm. looking for natalie and the things that they see there are very devastating especially when you're looking for your 18 year old daughter yeah but i mean i get when you're from I, you know, an affluent neighborhood like Mountain Brook that you've never seen. Yeah, and we didn't like mention that. Like house with yeah. hidden walls, and behind the walls there are chairs with bobbed wire on them, so it, it, it's very obvious people are kept there um, against their will, mm-hmm. and they're looking at, at people who are passed out on the floor and people yeah. who are just, and they're not finding Natalie. They don't find her in any of these. Well, and I'm, I don't have any children, but I can only imagine when you're down to, you have two choices, either she's dead or she's alive. Mm-hmm. You're, you, which is scarier, you, honestly, in this situation. Yeah, I mean, it's you're, you're willing to look anywhere to find her alive at that point mm-hmm, because the alternative is she's never coming home again. Yeah, and you're thinking if she is alive, what is happening to her? I, yeah, I don't care it's what kind of shape she's in, we'll get her home. But exactly. yeah, it's still got to be dead. It's still just yeah. gut wrenching. And so they have to go through these and they have to do this. It, it's not like you can go through the crack house after lunch. You know, mm-hmm. they're having to go through in the middle of the night, they're mm-hmm. having to have these secret meetings. They're not finding her anywhere. So then they they arrest the guys. They bring them in. They're interviewing them. Their stories are changing. They get released. And then are they get re-arrested. Yeah, the brothers do. Uh, Yorin stays, stays in custody this entire time from like June to September. Yeah, they hold him as long as they can. I mean, the judge, mm-hmm. they keep going back to the judge every, t- Katie, tell me 10 days or 15 I days or exactly. whatever it is. But every so often they have to go back to the judge and be able to justify his continued incarceration. Thank you. When he is released, they put a travel restriction on him and say he has to stay in a 
territory of the Netherlands. And so he heads actually back. But he went back to the Netherlands, right? right? For school. And then soon after that, a court removed his travel restrictions. So he was able to go wherever he pleased, but... And that was the first time, and we'll get. I'm, I'm, I'm assuming we'll get to the second time he was arrested. But that was the first time. That was he the was first arrested. time. And then the brothers were rearrested, yeah. and then they were released. Mm-hmm. Everybody was released right after Hurricane Katrina hit. So, yep. So, so a lot of third. A lot of people think that this this was a way for the officials to sneak this under the. Sure. I mean, it was a media frenzy there in Aruba. There were people from all over the world there. There were people, celebrities were getting involved. People, pro football players. Uh, one of the, Brett Favre uh, had gotten wind that Joran was a big fan of his and was actually going to be involved in trying to get him to talk and and tell really what yeah. happened. And then the way that it was put in the book was there was some managerial things and he didn't get to come. Or I, I, I'm paraphrasing, or I'm. I'm not I'm not quoting exactly, yeah. but I kind of took it as either no, you don't have time to not play pro football and go do this, yeah. or no, you're not doing this yeah, at or, all. Or, or no, you're not doing this. I <laughs> you, appreciate this the is gesture. A terrible, but, this is a terrible idea yeah. and you're just gonna stick to football. Yeah. But he did offer some financial support and so did um David Arquette and Courtney Cox. Courtney mm-hmm. Cox is a former Mountain Brook student. That's right. So they offered some financial help. Um, the people of Aruba were very sympathetic to the Holloways, to the Twitties, the Holloways mm-hmm. that were there. They would do prayer chains every night. I mean, in the book, she talks about these prayer chains that that go oh, just on and on and on down the road. Where the the, the locals were, their hearts were going out to them. They were they were welcomed by the locals. They were. The locals helped them pray. The She got into a cab one night. She talks about not knowing where to go, what to do. She needed to go to a church. Well, the cab driver took her to a place where they had all of these different crosses, and it was kind of like the journey of Christ as he walked to the hill. Okay. And she stopped at every cross and prayed, and the cab driver Waited patiently on her, helped her get back into the car, helped her, and and drove home. Just and and the people there were very, very supportive and very sympathetic, and wanted wanted there to be change. Now this is going to change mm. when they release the brothers. Mm. This first time they released the brothers, right? Yes, I think the so. The first time they released the brothers, I don't know that they were ever rearrested. That's, yes, that they are. They were okay. So they're going to be released, and she is going to make a very public statement saying, we cannot allow these criminals to walk the street. And immediately, her sympathy from the the people of Ruba is gone. Mm. They do not like that. These brothers were released. They do not view them as criminals. Yeah, our legal system has determined that they have no, there's no reason to hold them. So if you believe in the law, mm-hmm. you're accusing two innocent people of being criminals. And that does not fly yeah. with the locals. And so then that, as that starts to change, Beth Holloway is going to make a public apology. Mm-hmm. Too little, too late. They're not going mm. to, they're not going to forgive her for that. And it's going to start changing, and then the officials are going to start firing back because of the 
the tourism hit that they oh, have it's, taken. It's, it's killing Mm-hmm. It's killing them. And it's they're going the to... There's 73... Oh, wait a minute. It's uh, Tourism is their biggest industry. Yes. And 75% of the people who go to Aruba or went to Aruba at the time on vacation were from the United States of America. Yes. I could say that. Yes. And um, so they're going to... They're going to... That's going to quickly turn. And then, they're, then that's when you're going to start hearing these stories of what a partier Natalie was. And, and they're going to start making her look pretty bad. Yeah. Which is, it's very, I'm just going to leave that where that is. That's that's pretty pathetic. But also, Beth has to endure all these different story changes. Beth and Dave, they have to endure all these story changes from Yoren and the details that he talks about. Because he's going to talk about some sexual activity with her. And he's going to talk about how she's going in and out of consciousness when this is happening. And I mean, they're just... They're sickened by what they have to listen to. Yeah. And in this book, Beth finds herself at, a, I believe it's kind of like a coffee shop, and one of the brothers who's been released is working there. Wow. She goes up really? to him while he's stalking around. I have no idea exactly how to picture this, but around the counter, it's just the two of them, and she says she very calmly says things to him that Yorin had been talking about. Like, you know what color her underwear was, don't you? You know they were mm-hmm. they were this color, and you know that Yorin did this, and you know that this happened, and you know, and she's talking about how she's saying it very calmly and how he doesn't, she's wanting a reaction out of him, and, he, and he's he gets really stiff, and then he kind of just turns and walks away and then she's later asked to never come back to the right. to the right. coffee shop. Well, she knew that that was going to be her last trip ever in that coffee that. shop when she walked to, up to him to start that conversation. She did. She also went with Greta Van Zestren back to the home of Joran Vandersloot and confronted Paul. Mm-hmm. And she is actually invited into the home and talks with both parents. And she talks about that meeting in the book and nothing really comes of it but right. she recant she she tells that story and it's so was it therapeutic for her at all did she get any satisfaction out of doing I that I think that she did and I think that she was able to not have a hate for these people they right. they're it was almost like they were no longer the big bad villains um, I mean, I wouldn't say they'll ever be friends, yeah. but the mother has, Joran's mother has publicly stated that he's a bad kid. He's a bad child. That, right. he, has, that he has mental issues. Mm-hmm. And that he doesn't mind. He's a, he's, she has been, she has made it very clear many times that he's, he's a bad apple. Well, that seems to be a refrain that we, uh, find ourselves singing on this show a lot. A lot of the people that we end up talking about uh, are not, most of them aren't rational human beings in mm-hmm. some way, shape, or form. And it sometimes it manifests itself in the most egregious of crimes possible. And, I, and I'm not accusing Joran Vandersloot of murdering Natalie Holloway. We'll never know that unless he admits it. And if he admitted it tomorrow, I wouldn't believe him necessarily well, anyway because he's changed his story yeah. so many well, times. He has admitted it, and there's been video of That's that. True. And then he, he retra- and then he retracts it all. Yeah. He says, "No, that I really mm-hmm. didn't." 
it's it's kind of like a game. Yeah. So we'll never know, but it seems like a lot of the people that we end up talking about on the show have these issues where they're just, everybody goes, I knew he was going to snap. It was just a matter of time. That is a, that's a commonality that you, Mm -hmm. you, you do here. I mean, we all had individuals that we went to school with or that we've been around or or that we have worked with. Or that we bumped into over the weekend. And you, and if somebody said that person committed a, crime you know fill in yeah. the blank you might find yourself going huh oh, i could see that sounds yeah. about right not really shocked yep yeah, yeah. unfortunately well, <laughs> and i don't think that the mom was very shocked at all that yorn was finding himself in this hot water for yeah. a time because later on she even says that she was gonna have him committed and before she could he wow. took off and left her a note just saying i'm gone don't worry hmm. do we want to talk a little bit about Yorin and what's yeah. happened to him later on. Go for it. So, like we mentioned, he was arrested and then he was released. And then in 2007, which is two years after all of this was taking place to begin with in 2005, he decides to publish a book with a reporter kind of giving his account of the story. And I didn't give that book a, a look over or even Google anything. That I, was in I'd it. say we don't even say the name of it. I don't no, want anybody I, to go I buy it. I don't know what I didn't <laughs> write it down. No, I'm not going to give any money to that. Yeah. So after this, and they say this had nothing to do with the book, but there was a new search of his parents' house conducted in April of 2007. And then in November of 2007, Yorin is rearrested along with the Calpo brothers. for suspic- The quote is, for suspicion of involvement in voluntary manslaughter and causing serious bodily harm that resulted in the death of Natalie Holloway. Is this after the Dutch police got involved and went back and... Investigated mm-hmm. it yeah. again because yes, the first investigation. The, the first investigation was by the Aruban authorities. Mm-hmm. Nothing came of it, so there's still this uproar, right? Yeah, Katie. Two years later, so mm-hmm. the Dutch go, "All right, we've got to get involved and and come up with a report about what happened." Yeah, here. they say because okay. of new incriminating evidence, and they don't specify as to what that is. So two days after this, uh, Vandersloot is returned to Aruba because he is arrested in the Netherlands where he is, okay. where he was residing and going to school. So two days later, he's t- returned to the to Aruba. A few days later, there's a court hearing that said that they're going to hold him for eight days. Okay. And on, so eight on December 7th, which was actually a little longer than eight days, he is released without any charges. They can't find anything else. No, they can't get any. That's the second and final time, right? That he was arrested for this crime, for this crime. Years later in 2010, he goes on to go a little nuts. He gets in contact with the Holloway's attorney that they have in the U.S., which his name was John Q. Kelly. So they get in touch, and Yorn's telling him, hey, I'll tell you what happened. I'll tell you where Natalie's body is, and I'll tell you what happened to her. I want $25,000 in advance, and then after I tell you, I want $250,000 total. So extortion. (laughs) So Kelly goes to Aruba and Yorin is so hard up for money that Kelly's like, hey, you know, if if you'll start talking a little bit, I'll give you a hundred bucks. And Yorin's like, all right. So he takes a hundred bucks from him. Okay. Kelly immediately obviously notifies the FBI and they set up. We're talking about Natalie's mother, right? No, Kelly is the attorney. Kelly is the attorney. Oh, the attorney attorney goes. John John Q. Kelly. I'm sorry. So last name Kelly is what I'm referring to him as. Kelly, uh, Sets up, he notifies the FBI and they set up a sting operation with the Reuben authorities. And they he goes for more money. So they 
sent him a wire transfer of $15,000 to one account in the Netherlands, and then he gets another $10,000 in cash. And all and that interaction is taped by an undercover authority in Aruba. And he tells them that his father helped him bury her remains in a foundation of a home that they were building. Now, was this, is he telling this after his father passed away? Because mm-hmm. at some his point in time, did die, yes. Paul is going to pass is. away very suddenly. So it's easy to shift the blame to dad yes. if dad's not around. Because that was a very, more. very key point in this. Is, dad dropped dead, drops dead of a heart attack while playing tennis. Mm-hmm. Wow. Mm-hmm. Yes, and it was a very fishy kind of death. I think it's probably just think, because yeah. if you take away all of this, no one's going to suspect anything when just mm-hmm. right. things happen. I mean, unfortunate things happen, but there was a little bit of uh, rumors around that this was a very yes, suspicious this, death. This was after his so father after his father mm-hmm. passes away, he's willing to talk yep. for any kind of money that he can get, and he's willing to blame it on his father. Yes, but just to clear this up and to make sure that I'm not mistaken about what what Katie's talking about, doesn't it turn out that the house that the house wasn't even built? Then. Okay, all right. Yeah. House was not built. Uh, he emails Kelly telling him, yeah, I lied about all of that. Uh, charges were not immediately filed, and he flees to Columbia with this money. Then the U.S. District Court of Northern Alabama charges him with extortion and wire fraud. Okay. And they well, issue an arrest warrant, but they have to do it through Interpol because uh, they want him prosecuted in the U.S., but mm-hmm. it, he's not in the U.S., and it's a, that's a whole right. ordeal. About a month later, he's formally indicted, and they seek for the forfeiture of all that money that was paid to him, and they want him extradited to the U.S. so they can try him on these crimes. Okay. But this is all happening at the same time. On May 10th is when the wire transfer is made. Okay. On... What year are we in, We're in 2010, sorry. 2010. Oh, okay. So a very pivotal year in the future of Joran Vandersloot. We're in 2010. I'll run back through a little timeline. March is when he contacts Attorney Kelly. All right. May is when the wire transfer happens. Sorry, April is when Kelly goes and meets him, gives him the $100. May is when they set up the sting operation, the wire transfers happen. Then in June is when he is charged with and and then formally indicted. But... Can I, say, can I say something sure. really quick, Katie? When you were running back through your timeline, you said March is when he contacted yes. them. Okay, his father passed away on February 10th, uh-uh. 2010. So a month before he decides to... A month, a month after to the give up death the of his father, he's literally. contacting them. He's yes. literally going to give up the ghost, and it's his, it is his dead father, the ghost, is he's giving up. Gotcha. Yep. Okay, that's perfect timing then. Yes. So... May 10th, when the wire transfers happen, in June is when the charges are going to be brought forth in the U.S. But on May 30th, mm-hmm. 2010, it turns out that is five years to the day of when Natalie disappeared. A woman by the name of Stephanie Flores Ramirez is murdered in Lima, Peru. Who murdered her, Katie? Well, Who murdered her? her body was found in a hotel room that was rented out by none other than Joram Vandersloot. Interesting. And he is not in Peru anymore because he has fled to Chile. 
where he is arrested and extradited back to Peru for questioning. And then on June 7th, just, you know, eight days later, he confesses. She was beat to death, so he confesses. She was beaten to death with a tennis racket. Yeah. Hmm. So he is, he confesses. He later tries to formally retract this confession. He claims that he was intimidated by the Peruvian police, but the Peruvian judge said, no, that your, ju- your it confession would seem, is valid. It would seem the Peruvians are not going to care that he's a Vandersloot. Nope. Nor exactly all that, of the all of those things that were offered to him in Aruba, the Peruvians are like, we don't care. You're just mm-hmm. yeah, you're just another person, right? and the, we don't believe that you're that you're retracting your yeah. We don't believe it. All of the benefit of the doubt that he got in his home country, in his hometown, with his father potentially being able to pull strings, allegedly, not in Peru. No, right. so simultaneously while he is confessing and being charged in Peru, the United States is levying these charges for the wire fraud and the extortion. So that's all happening at the exact same time. Peruvian judge says that his confession is valid, and then it takes uh, two years for him to go through the court system in Peru. But on January, almost two years, anyway, a year and a half. On January 13th, 2012, he is sentenced to 28 years in prison for the murder of Stephanie Ramirez. And I'll bet you, if he ever gets out, the folks in Alabama are going to be glad to bring him to uh, a federal courthouse in Birmingham and officially throw those extortion and wire fraud charges on him. The Peruvian judge announced on March 9th, 2014, that he would face extradition to the U.S. in the year 2038, Ah. which is in 17 years. So they're going to keep him, and then when they're finished, they're going to say... Here you go, America. So when Here we have go. year 18 of true crime on Easy Street and we're still on the air, one <laughs> of the things that we will be discussing is an update of this case. Okay. On Jorn Vandersloot's right. status. Which it is crazy at how their system works, but he, yeah, only 28 years for yeah, murder. for murder. But in uh, February of 2016, there was an, another undercover reporter who filmed him confessing to Natalie's murder again. Right, he's and speaking, his story had changed. Yep, and he's speaking in Dutch, and he's laughing, and apparently he has a Peruvian wife. Yeah, he does now. Now he's, he's uh, yeah, and they have a daughter. Irony of ironies. Is this a daughter that was conceived while he's been in prison? Yes, or? that is correct. Um, they must have conjugal visits. Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. I, uh, I, didn't, I, I didn't look into the- I stumbled whole. across that at two o'clock this afternoon. I was just going through YouTube watching videos about the Holloways and the Vandersloot and the whole, just whatever I could find. And there was one mention of the fact that he has since uh, well, I, I just hope down that, the aisle. I hope that this daughter has a wonderful life. and I do too. Is never has to deal with the pain and the backlash of, of how horrible her father. But uh, for, the, for the Holloways, since then, you know, Beth Holloway, we keep referring to her as Beth Holloway because her marriage to Jug eventually ended. Okay. Um, <clears throat> I'm not passing any judgment here. I mean, they went through a tragedy a and it did not survive out. it. And she's very upfront about it in the very beginning of the book that this whole incident did cost her a marriage. Yeah. Um, yeah. And so she's gone back to using Holloway as her last name. And Beth Holloway still is looking for Natalie today. This I really recommend reading this book, Loving Natalie. I'm going to. I'm going to read it. Loving Natalie by Beth Holloway. Mm-hmm. Told from a mother's point of view. It is unbelievable how strong people can be and it it's um 
the book doesn't leave you feeling sad. That's what's so incredible about it is Beth Holloway is going to continue to talk with you about hope and about how she'll be hopeful in this area and it'll dissolve and then there'll be new reasons to have hope and there'll there'll be new reasons and and that is the central theme of this book and and I'm just going to tell you I knew this story I knew what happened to Natalie Holloway and I knew going into this book that we still do not know to this day what happened to Natalie Holloway yet every break every new lead that they got in that book I actually found myself feeling hoping the hope really it was a really incredible experience to read this book and I, I I highly recommend it and it was really amazing for me to go Kelly you know this you know this. Right. You know there's nothing that's going to come of this, but it was like, oh, here, here's something new, and you're just wanting more. You're wanting this to happen for her. And I truly hope that someday this family can get some kind of closure. As each year ticks by, you know, and it's I think, just hard to think that it's uh, going to happen. One of the things, speaking of hope, I, I, if I'm not mistaken, Mom has created a, I don't know if it's called the Natalie Holloway Foundation, but it's, it's to help people who, to help families who are dealing with a child that's been kidnapped or is missing. Or it, and I'm not exactly sure about the details, but. She's created that. She's also created um, another, um, and I don't know the name of it, but we can, you know, it, it's, a, it's a quick Google and you guys can, sure. you can look that up. And, and it's interesting to, to see what comes out of, of tragedies like yeah. this. And, and one of the things is um, for international travel to, for you to be able to understand the laws of a country, how everything works before you go. Um, and, but that's just general good practice. If you're going to travel, mm-hmm. if you're going to go from state to state, you should probably know. Yeah, that's yeah. that's a that's a good point. It mm-hmm. really is because it's a little bit different everywhere. And the further away from home you go, I mean, let's just assume you you load up and go to Cancun in three weeks, and some some crime happens to you there, or you're accused of a crime. It's going to be, be a, very different. You're going to be in a lot of trouble and well, not know how to get yourself out of it. We've mm-hmm. had friends who have been arrested in New Jersey because they had a gun there that they had no idea. You cannot have a firearm yeah. in New Jersey. Mm-hmm. And even though it's registered to them and, you know, it's 1,000% legal in mm-hmm. Alabama. Mm-hmm. You know, and then Shane has to be like, I don't practice law in New Jersey. I cannot <laughs> help you. <laughs> because lawyers have to have, uh, they have to have our licensure for each mm-hmm. state. Each state. So, mm-hmm. That's which is that that which works. proves how crazy our legal system is here because every state is so different that you mm-hmm. literally have to be licensed. Well, you can't you can't be a doctor in every state. Right. You have to get or, the licensure. Mm-hmm. You can't be a doctor in this state. I, I know that. I can't be a doctor any anytime. <laughs> but <laughs> but if I were, I would have to be very specific about which states I want to practice in, right. and I have to. You have to pay the piper. You have to pay for those licensures, mm-hmm. and the state. You know, they, they're going to get their part of that in, in, to recognize you as someone practicing like that. But if you are, if you're going international, you definitely need to know. And, and don't get me wrong. I'm not, I'm not saying this harping on the, on the Holloways. Certainly. The Holloways are harping on this. They're saying. Because yes, it's the Natalie Holloway Resource Center, which is a web-based center for education and crime, for, crime awesome. prevention. How mm-hmm. many, how many times has she saved our asses with her 
With her laptop. With her young Google abilities. Yeah, she's so good at that. <laughs> it's crimemuseum.org. We're over here making stuff up, trying to remember it. And she's like, you know what? Why don't I just Google I'll it? I'll just Google it while there they're yapping. Um, but yeah, so there's there's also other things that she's working on, and it has to do with international laws and international travel and, and what you need to know and mm-hmm. uh, trying to get some some different things done and different laws passed. And, and uh, Beth is just tireless. So it just works tirelessly. Did we wrap this up good enough for, let's just assume that there's someone out there who was not familiar with the Natalie Holloway story before they turned on this podcast today. Did we, I mean, we wrapped it up as much as it can be wrapped up. Yeah, There's no, we don't know. She went to Aruba on a class trip. She left with these three guys. She's never been seen again. There's three or the four different scenarios mm-hmm. about what might have happened. At some point, there was a boat involved. Maybe her body was taken out into the ocean and, mm-hmm. and dumped. Maybe she was buried somewhere. Maybe she was sold into sex slavery because mm-hmm. later on, Vandersloot does, does the same. Th- I mean, he has he has said all of these things at various points mm-hmm. since the crime took place or since the disappearance took place. Certainly, there was a crime somewhere because there's a a lovely little eighteen year old girl who never came back to well, Alabama. There's, so there's no body. Yeah, it, there's no body, and but so and there's then no you crime, fast forward. Right? That's what you know, and that is another that's report. What dad, that that's what his dad said. Is what he said. His dad said right. anyway. Correct. No body, no crime. Yep, allegedly. And you and you fast forward allegedly. to 2010, <laughs> and we do have a body, and the body oh, yeah. of not, yeah. of a a lovely young woman who was murdered. Yeah. Brutally mm-hmm. by Jorn Vandersloot. Yeah. And Natalie was formally declared dead in January of 2012, which coincided with his sentencing to prison with same same month, same year. Well, and I, I feel like I, this is this is the Hol- the Holloways have to take this. I, I can't imagine. They have to take this as some backhanded form of justice for them, right. I guess. I, yeah. I, I can't get in their psyche in their head, and I certainly, I want them to get justice for them. Yeah. But, but at least he is off the street. At least he's not walking around. And it is, it's sad that another young woman had to mm-hmm. pay a price that, well, we don't know if Natalie paid or not, but. Yeah. Yeah. It's, yeah. It's if very, there's, if there's ever anything that we can update about this case, certainly we will do it in the I future. I surely hope that there's one day where we turn on these Boy, mics and we say. Me too. Oh, awesome. here's some wonderful news in the mm-hmm. Natalie, Natalie Holloway case. Yeah. But the, I think some light is the fact that he is, he's incarcerated and he's there for a while. And, and won't ever be, he won't ever be free to go anywhere again. I mean, it, 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 2038, Alabama still wants him if he gets, if oh, he wants out of that Peruvian prison, we're still going to want him. They're still going to want him. So, And now I don't know what the sentencing is for extortion and wire fraud um you know it's not the same as a murder sentence right. but it is something well mm-hmm. it's something as long while as he's off can, the street yep. mm-hmm. all right well i guess we uh we wrapped up another one i wish we? i wish we could have tied this up in a bow but unfortunately that's the nature of this case we don't know what happened to natalie and um gosh we may never know i hope i hope we do at some at some point all right somebody talk about social media i'm always confused about that <laughs> Well, just don't forget Thank you, to Katie. don't forget to like, rate, subscribe, leave us a review on Apple Podcasts, uh, follow us on Spotify if that's where you're at. Come see us on social media. We're on Instagram and Facebook, and we will be live every other Wednesday. Every other Wednesday. Now, last <laughs> we don't know week, what date it is. Last week, <laughs> I said that it was that Wednesday. I was off on my recordings. The 
the Wednesday that this one drops, though, we will be live. Oh, is that right? Okay. <laughs> oh, yeah, that's true. So that'll Maybe. be the 18th of hey, September. Is if, that correct? If you're wondering, come find us on Instagram or Facebook, and we will have it posted. We'll tell you. We will let you know. We will let you know. You can always call Easy Street. Or you can come have lunch <laughs> or dinner at Easy Street Restaurant, Bar, and Performance Hall, and there are TV screens that will show you when we are going to be live again. Exactly. So that's that's probably better than, than trying to follow... Yeah. We record we record early, and so we get confused a little bit on our days. So yes, please bear it, with us. Yeah, Thank you for loving us. Yeah. If you're following us on social media, we don't post those early. Yep. And please email us at truecrimeoneasystreet at gmail.com with a case idea, um, general thoughts. Leave us a five-star rating. But no complaints. Write a review. Please no, write a review. Yeah, good reviews. Leave your complaints at home and yep. don't type them in an email. We don't. Nope. That is not productive. Care. Right in the garbage can. <laughs> File 13 on any complaints. Do we have, guys, I mean, I've not even checked. I'm gonna, do we have any shout outs or do we have We got Celeste anything? earlier. So. We got Celeste. Yeah, again, thank you so much, Celeste. Okay, I'm just, I'm just going to check really quick. Everybody uh, bear with me. Everybody bear with me. She's really good with her social media despite this is the, musical the fact that we part, turn it I mean, over to Katie. I yeah, I know, I know. Anyways, I think it's just Celeste for this week, but wow, that's that not just Celeste. Thank you. Yeah, Celeste and three other people. <laughs> <laughs> Good night, everybody. <laughs>